0: The Sunday after Easter is referred to by pastors as low Sunday, uh, as in low attendance. And uh, that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's a busy time of the year for families. Um, but somehow it was the perfect storm this morning. Uh, I texted Jackie earlier. I said, I think I'm losing my voice. She texted me back and said, I think I am too. Um, so we might have to just do some silent meditation here in a little bit. And then I walked in and the copier wouldn't work. Um, and that concerned me because I needed to print off my sermon, but we figured that out and then the projector didn't work and it's feeling like spiritual warfare to me. Um, it's okay. It's okay. And by the way, I've been, coughing, but last night I did the COVID test and I'm negative, but I still need to not do any hugs or anything like that for your for your sake. Um, visitors, it's good to have you. Um, we, uh, we had a great crowd last Sunday. We had kids running all over the place. We have, of course, children's church and we have Sunday school and we do a lot of programming during the week as well and uh, so this has been a pretty good pretty cool church to be a part of and uh, however we can help you um, walk with Jesus with you and your family we would be honored to do that um, the second Sunday of Easter season is also unofficially called Doubting Thomas Sunday because we always read that scripture in John about poor Thomas when The resurrected Christ appears to his disciples. Everybody's there except for Thomas. Poor Thomas is off playing golf or finishing up his tax returns or maybe out getting hamburger fixings for the rest of the disciples. I don't know. But I don't judge. I judge Thomas lightly. Um, If you think about it, the idea of resurrection is so fantastic that... He understandably, in my opinion, refuses to believe it unless he sees Jesus for himself. And so forevermore, he earns this moniker, Doubting Thomas. Uh, Even still, Jesus reprimands him a little bit. He says, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. Amen. Anyhow, I just couldn't do it, though. I couldn't preach a whole sermon on poor old Doubting Thomas because I've done it so many times times and and I've always uh, felt a little sorry for Thomas who who doesn't have some doubts every once in a while everyone has at least a few doubts every once in a while Frederick Bener said that if you don't have any doubts you're either lying or dead um, and the goal is is not to beat yourself up for having doubts. Uh, The goal is not to throw in the towel and just quit, but to lean into your doubts, wrestle with them, uh, struggle with them, fight the good fight. When I was in seminary, uh, I took an entire course on the Trinity and I think I did it because I didn't like the Trinity. Okay, it made no sense to me. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, as we used to say. I, I think I spent an entire semester Fighting, wrestling with the Trinity, and I finally gave in, okay? I finally gave up. Uh, I couldn't come out of any sort of satisfactory place without the Trinity. And then I discovered uh, the Celtic Christian tradition, and in that tradition, the Trinity is not a doctrine to be understood intellectually, but a a reality to fall in love with. Isn't it marvelous? Isn't it wonderful that God is not just a creator God, that God is a redeemer God that comes through Jesus to to rescue us. And Holy Spirit, he's still with us. He sustains us. Creator, redeemer, sustainer. The Trinity is something you adore. The Trinity is something you give thanks for. The Trinity is something you fall in love with pray dance with praise praise you god for being such a wonderful creator thank you god for jesus the redeemer and for holy the holy spirit the sustainer so all of which leads me finally uh, to my attempt at a sermon uh, which i've titled living a life of doxology not a life of the doxology but a life of doxology. In other words, I want to challenge you to think of doxology not as that little short hymn that we sing after the Apostles' Creed, but something much broader, expansive, to the point of thinking about doxology not as a song we sing, but a lifestyle. Now, if you look up the word doxology in the dictionary, it is at first the more narrow view. It is, quote, a liturgical formula of praise for God. Uh, A short expression of praise, usually a short hymn, none of which is very inspiring, right? But in a broader sense, it means exaltation, gratitude, admiration, approval, to give great honor, to give praise, to give glory. In other words, doxology is to say, thank you, God, for being the kind of wonderful God that you are. Now, excuse me. Now, here's where I have to throw out a caveat. Uh, on most Sundays, I mostly preach to myself, okay? Uh, but, t- but today, I'm really preaching to myself. I mean, who am I to tell you how to live a life of praise, a life of... Of doxology. Can I practice what I preach? That's always the litmus test. Because there are times when I'm too easy, easily given in to pessimism, sarcasm, cynicism, worry. I don't know that I'm smart, but I'm a pretty good smart aleck, okay? Sometimes there's no silver lining that I can't notice and worry about the dark cloud that's there with it. And the world doesn't help us in this regard to live a life of praise and doxology because there are big problems out there, truly. War and pandemic, deep, profound social problems, and even church denominational issues that threaten to render us asunder. So do we dare talk about glory? Would that not be a a naive, world escaping, head in the sand, ignoring reality posture? The world does not make it easy some of us were raised in that uh, worldview of when things are going good you better watch out anybody here yeah yeah don't be too happy something bad's coming along right Um, I might have told you being out in West Texas and after drought they uh, got a five-inch rain And I went down to the coffee shop and everybody's so happy except this one old rancher. He says, well, that's how the last drought started. (laughs) Oh my gosh. A life of praise, a life of doxology, not your go-to role model for that. The world doesn't make it easy. The church doesn't make it easy. I remember as a kid watching the adults uh, sing the, de- the doxology and they were using the words praise and glory and praise God to the Holy Ghost of the, I mean, they were so bored. We kept using words like joy and it didn't seem to be in the house. The world doesn't make it easy. I remember when uh, my wife was pregnant with our first child and I'm doing a lot of thinking about how to be a good parent, what to do, what not to do, trying to imagine that. And we were uh, going to church in Austin and it was uh, kind of configured like this. except there was no carpet at all. It was all tile. And there was this little girl about maybe five years old at the most. And we were singing a hymn and she got away from her mom and she, she went out in the pew and she started dancing. And the mom starts heading her way and she goes ta, 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 ta. and she shes shoots through another pew Tap, ta, ta, ta. and the mom starts to head her off on the other side. And she goes to the back. Tap, ta, 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 ta. And then she's running, she's happy. She's joyful. And she's dancing and, and she's going around another way. And finally somebody just reaches out and grabs her. And uh, and I thought, as a parent, I'm thinking, okay. Do we tell them to stop being happy in church? (laughs) But I can't just let my kids run around like crazy, can I? Or can I? Huh? Am I going to suppress that happiness in the name of Jesus? Huh? It's not easy. Some days, to be honest... To be honest with you, a life of doxology, a life of praise seems a little out of reach for me. And so I got to thinking that maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. Maybe a life of praise, a life of doxology, is not about being happy, exactly. Not about, oh, you got to whistle a happy tune. you got to turn that frown upside down. You, you need to have a better attitude. Is that really what it is maybe a life of doxology is something deeper more profound than just feelings uh, subjective temporary feelings so let's try this one on for size maybe a life of doxology is basically two things one remembering the nature of god remembering the kind of god god is and what would what would what would lead us to maybe describing the kind of god we have well i did this yesterday actually with a funeral uh, believe it or not but first corinthians 13 uh, familiar to us is the love chapter uh, read at weddings quite often all about how to love one another Um, but the word used there means godly love and so Just as kind of an exercise, flip it. Think about it not as how we're supposed to love one another, but how God loves us. So what kind of God do we have? Well, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God is not rude, not self-seeking, not easily anchored. God does not keep a record of the wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts always hopes, always perseveres. The God of creation, the God of the cross, the God of forgiveness and reconciliation and peace. We remember our God, and that leads us to praise. Our God is an awesome God, doxology. And then two, maybe doxology is the discipline of seeing how God is at work in the world. Um, in our uh, I've been teaching a Wednesday night group, A Jesus Shaped Life and every week there's a question where have I noticed God at work in the last week? Where have I I noticed God at work in the last week? It's a very good question very good habit, very good discipline to ask yourself every week if not every day Um, so let me Let me give you an example of what that might look like. Uh, Seeing God in nature is a pretty good way to start. And years ago, I took Psalm 148 and I rewrote it. I was living out in West Texas. Uh, So here's Psalm 148, the Texas version. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you heavens above. Praise Him, you cooing white-winged dove. Praise the Lord, you earth below. Praise him, you spring showers rainbow. Praise him, you hot summer sun and cool evening breeze. Praise him, all you falling live oak leaves. Shout hallelujah, you Gulf of Mexico. Say amen, you high plains Amarillo. Kick up your heels, you jackrabbits and javelina hogs. Give it up, you big thicket swampy bogs. Join the choir, you longhorn cattle. Lift up your voices, you sheep and goats and ranch hands riding in the saddle. Let the cottonwoods and pecan trees clap their hands. Let the mesquite and prickly pears sing anthems throughout the land. Dance a two-step, you Brazos in Colorado and Rio Grande. Swing your partner, you Laguna Madre and Padre Island sand. Praise him, all you creatures of the mesas and cedar break. Praise him, you perch and bass and catfish in the Highland Lakes. Sing and worship, you Big Bend Canyons and East Texas Pines. Drink to him a toast with a little hill country wine. Praise Him, you cities and small farms, school children, senior citizens, and stay-at-home moms. Praise the Lord, you bankers and lawyers and teachers, truck drivers and nurses, and Brush County ranchers. Let them all praise the name of the Lord. For His name alone, let us give favor, because He has sent us a Savior. Let all of creation praise the Lord. So just to see in, in just that... It's not God and what we do on Sunday morning, but it can be everything. Last Wednesday, I asked my crew. I said, where have you noticed God at work in the last week? Um, um, hmm, well, a lot of hymns and haws. Um, and I said, It was Easter Sunday a couple of days ago. Help us, Jesus. It was Holy Week. It was Palm Sunday. Come on. It is a discipline, a new habit to develop, right? So let me give it a shot, okay? Where have I seen God at work lately, okay? Do you remember two years ago? Do you remember March two years ago, and we shut down everything at this church? We shut down all our programming. We shut down everything except worship, and we had one camera right here on a mic stand. And about two weeks after we shut down, we we did Easter Sunday, and it was me and Jackie and about three staff people and my wife, and that was it. Easter Sunday, empty building. And we did the 9 o'clock service. And afterwards, my wife came up to me. And and she said, you need to smile. (laughs) And I said, well, I'm depressed. Okay? I know it's Resurrection Sunday. But... And we were scared. And we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if the church would run out of money. Didn't know if we could... together again in quite the same way ever. We didn't know about this new disease, just what it would do and what it wouldn't do. Last Sunday, we had over 500 people in worship. We had 250 views online, Uh, at least 750 people, had children, families running everywhere, we did Palms and the Plots for the first time in three years, and it was wonderful. We had about 340 people, and it, was so, it just felt so good. And we had such great services this last week with Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, and people are hearing grace and forgiveness and good news and hope forgiveness in the gospel. Praise to you, O God of the universe. You have been getting us through this. Doxology. Give you one last example. Um, We've sort of gotten connected to a Methodist church in Poland. And I've been emailing back and forth, forgive me, with the pastor there um, I cannot pronounce his name, so he just told me to call him Chris. Um, here's a tiny church. Uh, he said he started that church back in the 90s with six members, and now they're up to 50. But they've been helping with hundreds of Ukrainian refugees. And he was telling me how they found uh, housing in what seems like a big motel that they've just decided to use to take care of the ukrainians they've been buying food they've been trying to help them i i emailed him i said you know if you've got some families that want to come to america i'm pretty sure i can put together some resources to make that happen and he said you know right now they just all want to go home and so they're waiting to see if that's going to be possible or not and His emails are, he's always thankful, and he's always praising God. And he said, this last Easter, when I looked at the cross, I was filled with hope for the future. And here they are in Poland, Poland that was brutally invaded in some people's lifetime still who remember that. Poland, who's brutally invaded by the Russians. And that's in the back of their mind. And these Ukrainian families, mostly women and the children who left their husbands behind. And every day, every day is a hard day. And yet they sing God's praises. They know the kind of God they depend upon. They know that even though it doesn't seem like it maybe. That somehow God is at work in this. That God has not left them. That maybe God is at work all around them. That doxology might be to praise God for what God is doing even when things are not going well. It's not just about being happy. Recently I saw a Nike ad and it said, The sneaker makes the man. No, it doesn't. My apologies to the marketing people at the Nike Corporation, but that plastic shoe cannot save you, redeem you, love you, forgive you. But we have the kind of God that can, and we are under God's care. Thank God, life is more than a sneaker. Doxology. I read from the book of Revelation, which is a mysterious and challenging. It's a church that's undergoing severe persecution in a powerful, violent empire. And it starts off with grace and peace to you. From the one who was and who is and who is to come, the world has gone mad for them. They are in danger. But the writer of Revelation can see that even in the worst of times, God is doing something powerful and evil can't win. And Revelation is not about happy times, but in... Resounding ode to the God who is and what God is doing. Revelation is the ultimate doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so Lord God of all things, we are so thankful that you are such a wonderful God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, powerful over all evil in the world. Thank you that you're more than a sneaker. Thank you for guiding us through this pandemic. We dare to continue to hope in you, even in troubled worlds, so praise him. You who are hungering in your spirit, you who grieve, you who struggle just to get up in the morning, you who toss and turn through sleepless nights, you who don't know where to turn, you who struggle with sickness and aging bodies, you who have all you need but are still empty inside, you who for life is good, but something crucial is still missing. Praise God who is doing something in your life. I'm going to read to you finally Psalm 150. Years ago, I went to a uh, college worship service, and the drummer had the biggest drum trap I'd ever seen. I, it just, I don't know how many cymbals he had. It looked like it looked like a drum trap from a A-level rock and roll show, okay? And on the bass drum, it said Psalm 150. I had to think about that. Ah, yes. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.